Chris Gelser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First to Run, Matt and I are going to discuss Pacific Rim Uprising, a sequel I confess I did not expect that we were ever going to get. And are we glad we got it? We're also going to talk about the latest horror film, Heist Mashup on Netflix, The Vault, that I thought, man, that guy looks a lot like James Franco. And guess what, Matt? It was James Franco. And then it's going to be the return of What Are the Odds, our favorite Vegas odds-making segment where we describe, you know, what are the percentages of this happening or that not happening? And then, of course, we never revisit it to see if it actually did occur. So let's start everything off, though, with a clip from Pacific Rim Uprising. How you doing, Nate? It's Ranger Lambert. Are you having a laugh? Well, this is a military base. You remember how that works? Ranger Pentecost. And you must be a Maranamania. Yes, sir. Ranger, sir. Well, let's get you squared away. Oh, and, uh... Try not to steal anything while you're here. Did that haircut just call you Pentecost? As in badass stacker Pentecost? Pilot of Coyote Tango, hero of basically the whole world? It's just a name. Yeah, really cool name. All right, so I chose that clip for a particular reason, Matt, when I was revisiting this. And I tried to actually rewatch Pacific Rim in anticipation of the show. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to. Uh, I was about 20 minutes in, and I'm like, you know what? I got to watch that damn Yankee game. I want to see what happened. <laughs> so, uh, that, but my bad. I still want to revisit it, though, because I remember liking the film, but having problems with some of the decisions, particularly probably what? The casting of Charlie Hunnam as right. our star. But the names, I want to run these down. These are all-time just ridiculous movie names. So Charlie Hunnam is Raleigh Beckett. All right. Rinko Kikuchi is Mako Mori. Charlie Day is Dr. Newt Geisler. Bern Gorman is Dr. Erman Gottlieb. Ron Perlman, of course, is the classic Hannibal Chow. Max Martinez mm-hmm. is Hercules Hansen. He goes by Herc. Then you got another Chuck Hansen, you got Tendo Choi, Yancey Baggett. But I think really the cherry on top of the name Sunday is Idris Elba's Marshall Stacker Pentecost. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get much more uh, ridiculous and awesome, I think. <laughs> so this time around, we have Mr. Marshall Pentecost's son. Who is played by? Oops, I'm still on Pacific Rim because I am an idiot. Of course, played by Mr. John Boyega. You may know him from Attack the Block, and of course, the small films, uh, the most recent two Star Wars movies. He's Jake yeah. Pentecost. Not quite as impactful, <laughs> unfortunately, but still good enough. And then you have Art- Scott Eastwood, Matt, who looks more and more like his dad every time I see him. Yeah, I swear. Sure. There were a couple scenes in this thing where I, I was like, dear God, that's like Clint from like the late 50s. Yeah. He is disturbingly handsome. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's it. So, Matt, I have a general question for you. In regards to Pacific Rim, we both, I think, enjoyed the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you happy that we had this sequel or should we have just left well enough alone? You know what? Um, I didn't have high expectations for this film, especially after uh, Guillermo del Toro kind of was pushed out or dropped out. I'm not sure which one it was. Um, But you know what? Um, I thought this was better than I really had any hope it would be. I had very low expectations, and I will say it's not a great movie, but it's a fun 
action B movie with giant robots fighting giant monsters. And that's really all I wanted from it. And it kind of delivered on all those fronts. And I, I had a good time, believe it or not. Yeah, it's it's basically a Transformers movie. It truly is. Whoa! Is, whoa, is, whoa! It is. Whoa, whoa! You better back it up there. You better back that truck up there right now. <laughs> Defend your position. That is untenable. But go. Because it's got a lot big robots fighting stuff, and it's kind of pointless. And nothing really is. There's no stakes in this thing. The whole thing is. In fact, I think the worst part is the dramatic scenes are needless and meaningless as well. I think it's 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 not as bad as a Transformers movie. All right, I will let me clarify that it's not as bad, and maybe that's just because we've jettisoned Hunnam. I don't know, but the film doesn't certainly have I don't know if this is the right word, but it doesn't certainly have the gravitas as the original. The original one was this dark post not post, but this dark apocalyptic film, right? was always dark and rainy, and everybody was fighting to save the world. And this one is more like, hey, it's a beautiful day. It's a nice, lazy Sunday. Let's go fight some monsters. It's breezy, and it's sunny, and it's pointless. This thing, you know, here's what's so frustrating about it, is I think that it introduces some interesting ideas, and I think maybe gets to a point where it justifies its existence. Um, I think some of the, the threads they did pick up on for this sequel make sense, right? They're not hackneyed and they're not pushed to justify anything. I think it makes sense how the film plays out. It's just not that memorable. And it's just not, as I said, it's not, it doesn't do anything really with those ideas. The, the, the action scenes aren't particularly interesting or exciting, uh, and it's just, it felt like to me a high end straight to DVD sequel. Okay. Um, okay. So I think we need to back unpack this a little bit here. Um, I'm actually a little ashamed of you because this is, this is, this is where Chris, he, he baffles me sometimes. He's all, he's very high art a lot of the times, mm-hmm. but he loves slumming it in the grindhouse. He loves mm. his like splatter stuff. He loves his real really terrible films and he gets all giddy about it but if you get these kind of middling things it's just like he gets very offended by that it's not it's not as lowbrow as he would like it to be to make it really fun and trashy but it's not really highbrow art either and i i think he's being way too harsh on this film um it's no and it's not even the same wheelhouse as the transform movies those things are an abomination on on action movies everywhere yeah and we all know that. And it's and not as are, bad as those. It's not. It's not even close. It's not even close to as bad as those. Does, does this really break any new ground? No, it doesn't. And honestly, to be fair, I think the original Pacific Rim, I think we wanted it to be a lot better than it turned out to be. It's not... Yes. I mean, we really love the idea of giant robots fighting kaiju because we're both fans of Godzilla. We really love Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. um, and we're really excited to see what he produces out. Um, and I think we just wanted it to be better. I mean, I don't, I can't say honestly. Well, I think the first film definitely looked better. I can't say it had any more heft or anything more to it than than this one did. And at least this one, it felt to me like it knows what it is. It wasn't trying for anything, any to be anything heavier than it was. And it was just trying to be kind of a fun, fluffy action movie with giant robots. And that's what we got. And I, honestly, I was entertained the whole time. Do I think it's fantastic? No. But I don't think that's really what it was trying to go for. Well, no. I get so, 
so I'm supposed to praise the film because it is tepid at best and it's and it's but not it's not but it's not I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's tepid. I would say it's fun and entertaining. I mean I wouldn't say it's I don't high know art. If it is. I mean it the mon the, the the fights with the robots and the kaiju, the the Jaegers and the kaiju, if I'm gonna be correct, are they're just it's not that interesting. And then when the end when the monster does its constructicon thing, I know I just again it just I was like all right, all right. You know, you're falling, I just, you're, you're falling into the geek trap of like you'll go so far, but this is a line too far beyond my beyond what I can accept as far as no, 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 no. It's not an issue where I like I can't like I I don't know I can't accept the science of this actually happening <laughs> type of a thing. That's not it at all. It's more I just didn't care. Okay. And, and 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 then the dramatic scenes were entirely forgettable. There's a couple scenes with the young lady that they're um, who's training to be a ranger, right? And um, what's it, Kaylee Spaney? She's a Mara, mm-hmm. and I just didn't care. I I had no investment in that whatsoever. And every interaction, listen, I think Boyega has a presence on screen. I enjoy seeing him on the big screen. I do, mm-hmm. but it, there's just I think maybe it's just a fault of the script. Or I'm not sure. It just it just didn't really come together or work for me at all. It was it was fine, right? It's it, and if it's Rock'em Sock'em Robots, the movie, and if that's what you're in for, then you're gonna that's what you're looking for. Then you're gonna enjoy this. It, that it you know that's fine. But even then, it's just those fight scenes and everything. It's okay. It's all right. It didn't have like the the first twenty minutes that I watched of Pacific Rim last night. That universe felt lived in and authentic, and you know the way because I use practical effects as well as computer generated ones, and in this one the whole thing just felt like I said like a, a superior straight to DVD sequel. That's all. It's it's fine. It's I get I'm giving this thing a C minus. I just have oh no. God. There was not enough <laughs> in this thing to keep me rooted or involved or interested. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. This is, this is, this is an interesting set of arguments because I don't think really Chris or I are really saying different things. I really just think that we're coming at it from a different place of expectations. My expectations were exceedingly low for this. I mean, the trailers look terrible as far as even the effects were not even that didn't look that good. And I, I completely expected not to like it, but I think, I think to say, it is a C minus film is, is completely unfair just because, I mean, you're not that far off from Tomb Raider and this is way more fun than Tomb Raider by a lot. So, you know, you gave what Tomb Raider a C plus C. I gave it a C. Uh, okay. So you're half a, you're, you're, you're a, you're a quarter, a third of a letter grade off of where Tomb Raider was. And this was miles more fun than Tomb Raider was. You gotta, you gotta at least do right. that. I think that's fair. So I'll I'll go two a C, but that's the best I'm gonna do. That's that's the best you can do. Yeah, because I think maybe it is too that I had absolutely no expectations for Tomb Raider either. But I like Alicia Vikander, and I thought she yeah. was fine in it. Um, but I I did probably have higher expectations from this. If you're gonna take all the great things about Del Toro's film, and again, right. it's a flawed film, but there's still some really interesting things in it, and you're gonna just jettison all of that. And then just give us a Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie in Pacific Rim name only. Then I'm sorry, I'm not gonna. I just I'm not gonna be all in on that. And listen, we grade on a curve here 
for these genre films all the time. I mean, remember, we gave Jigsaw a C because <laughs> it was think, in, the, too- in the Saw franchise, it was a C-level right. film. Right. Well, and I think while they're not quite obviously apples to apples, I mean, Tomb Raider is kind of was in at least in the same genre of middling to low expectations action movies. So I think it's fair to kind of maybe not apples to apples, but they're oranges to grapefruits or something. You know, they're in the same wheelhouse. Um, So I'm going to. Yeah, I mean, I. Grading on the curve, I'm gonna give this thing a B minus. Um, I, I, and you know, I thought curve. it was fine. I had it. It, oh, gee, it's not that bad. Chris is saying it's, it's. I mean, and I think maybe this is course correction because maybe this is just the filmmakers trying to say, you know, Pacific Rim had a kind of like you said, it had a lot more interesting ideas in it. It was a lot darker. Um, it didn't kind of all mesh together. Um, it was kind of muddled. And it didn't do that great. So maybe they're just saying, let's just try and just give people Rock'em Sock'em Robots the movie and see how it does. And I can tell you right now, I mean, this thing is doing gangbusters overseas, which, you know, you can't really say about the first Pacific Rim. Well, the first one made most of its money overseas. Yeah. Uh, and, but I think that's actually a question I had on my notes here too, Matt. This is the most Asian-influenced film, at least for that market that we've seen, I think, to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, so. I mean, I was curious. Is this, do you think this is the future of blockbusters, or at least I think it may be the future of these mid-grade blockbusters? If you're going to get a sequel, we're going to have to focus more on this growing Asian market to make the to get these things made. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I think I think what you're going to see is we're going to have true blockbusters where it's a known quantity, and of course we'll get the you may have the kind of unexpected hits that kind of spawn franchises um, here, but I think you're right. I mean, if you look at like, um, what was it? Warcraft that came out last year did not do well in the States, but it did really well in China. Um, I don't know if it's going to get a sequel, but it did fantastic over there. Um, So I don't know. I think that's the same kind of thing that you're going to, that we're going to get. But like I'm looking at box office mojo now, right now, even though it was number one for its its domestic take uh, an opening weekend, um, it's made back its budget and it's now in profitability territory after one weekend. So I guess we'll see how it does if it has any if it makes you know any kind of decent profit. Yeah, I don't know. I just fine. <laughs> it's, I, listen, it's yeah. not that bad, folks. I mean, if you go into it thinking it's going to be anything great, it's not. It's not. It's not even. It's not even a particularly good film, but it's a fun film. And if, you know, granted, there's a lot of competition coming out. Um, I think this is going to get quickly swept under the rug. Um, but if Ready Player One's not your thing and you've already seen Black Panther a few times, hell, go see this. You're, you'll probably be entertained with the kids. Fair enough. We've got to see Pacific Rim Uprising. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Matt, coming up on Blu-ray and DVD, that's going to be this upcoming Tuesday. Insidious, The Last Key. Includes an alternate ending, eight deleted scenes, and a bunch of featurettes. I've enjoyed the Insidious films. I didn't actually see the third one, just the first and second. And I heard this fourth one wasn't quite as good. Um, Right. But I'd still probably check them out at some point. Maybe when Halloween rolls around, I can check out the last two. The Luke Wilson, Ed Helms film, Father Figures, uh, which, do you remember this is about the two guys who find out that they don't know who their dad is, so they go on a... 
a road trip to find him. That's getting released okay. with some deleted scenes and an exclusive to the Blu-ray gag reel. Uh, first run favorite John Barenthal is in a smaller movie called Sweet Virginia, where he plays a former rodeo champ who befriends a young man with a propensity for violence. So we like some John Barenthal. Matt, have you had a chance to check up with Punisher yet? Um, I haven't finished it. I'm like halfway through. Okay. How are your thoughts so far? Um, I was on board in the 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 first couple episodes, but it's starting to kind of drag a little bit. So I don't know. We'll see if it kind of picks up towards the end there. It does. It gets better for the last three. But okay. it, I think we, we need to revisit this whole model. I think eight and out, maybe nine tops for these right. series may be the way to go. Yeah. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt. I'm going to go with Mother, May I Sleep with Danger. Tell me if all about it. If you're not familiar, there was a TV movie in 1996 starring Tori Spelling and even Sergi. Uh, and it's an edge-of-your-seat thriller about a woman who falls in love with a charming college classmate only to discover he's a deadly psychopath. When Laurel, played by Spelling, a compulsive and highly disciplined overachiever meets the handsome and charming Kevin Shane at college, she quickly falls in love without knowing anything about his identity or his past. Struggling to break free from her meddling mother, Laura becomes deeply involved with Kevin, but as their whirlwind relationship intensifies, she begins to see how Kevin's extreme passion and smothering affection are isolating her from her friends. When Laurel decides to break off the romance, Kevin is determined to hold on to her at any cost, and it's up to Laurel's mother in a desperate race against time to save her daughter before it's too late. So you're asking, Chris, why would you bring up a movie from 1996, which is likely a Lifetime movie starring Tori Spelling? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you why. In 2016, the movie was remade in honor of the 20th anniversary. It's a cult classic, Matt. This remake stars James Franco and reunites Tori Spelling and even Sergei from the original film and also features Layla George, Emily Mead, and Nick Everson. With a story by Franco, this updated classic features a vampire love story that brings a whole new meaning to sleeping with danger. So Franco went in and just basically rebuilt this thing from the ground up, recast the people, and redid the film. So there's something interesting, I think I want to check that out. And in honor of our next film, The Vault, I thought I'd pick Mother May I Sleep with Danger. Very good. What should we be streaming this week? All right. So we were talking a few weeks ago for Annihilation. We were talking about Alex Garland and the films that he's been involved with. So um, one's popped back up on Netflix that Chris and I both really enjoy. It's uh, Never Let Me Go. Not directed by Arlen, but it was uh, the screenplay was adapted by the Kazui Shiguro novel. Um, it stars Kira Knightley, um, Andrew Garfield, and Carrie Mulligan, um, who live in a dystopian near future England um, where... Is it, a, do I, is it a spoiler if I say how this works? If it, how that, how, well, I'll watch it and check it out. It's it's mm. a it's a kind of a, a dystopian romantic drama. Um, really well done, really well acted, um, really heartbreaking at the same time, and it's got some cool sci-fi overtones. So go check it out. Never let me go. It's available on Netflix. Yeah, and if you you can also too if you want. I think it's been on Amazon. The Blu-ray for like five six bucks a pop. So if you really like it, you can pick it up pretty cheap. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I like Never Let Me Go a lot. That's a good pick. All right, Matt, let's move on. Next up on The Biggin, we are going to discuss The Vault. The straight to Netflix. Is this, did you say straight to Netflix? The Netflix feature that's a horror bank heist. It, it's, it's a whole thing, Matt. So uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Take a listen, though. 
Where's the rest of the money? It's down below. That's that's where that's where the real money is in in the old vault. You can get in there. It's a private vault. It's it's part of the old bank. We just house it. It's it's antiquated. It's it's not even on the grid. We're not prepared for this. Well, we're in pretty good shape. I gotta say, we got the cobalt drill bits. We got the welder for the back way out. Perfect. Then we're going in. Depends on the vault. How old? That's 60, 70 years. We don't have time. Everything's locked up. We got time. How much money's in it? Six million cash. Six million? No, it's there at the, at the end of the basement hall. There's a door. The key is here. This is it. The key. We're in. Man, how good am I editing? Matt, there's three profanities in that clip, and I was able to take them all out. And you, you couldn't tell, could you? No, I couldn't. You're getting really good at this. I think I smell I think I smell side career for you. There we go. So Matt, why don't you tell the folks at home, what is the vault all about? Well, the vault is uh, about um, some bank robbers. They take, o- take over a bank in the effort to get a lot of money. Um, they take the hostages. And when they broke into the main bank, there's not enough money that they need. That's when the assistant bank manager, played by James Franco, suggests that there is another vault in the basement of the building that has more money in it. And they go down to investigate where creepy, ghostly occurrences start to happen. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I saw the thing. I'm looking at this thing. I heard this pretty good. And then I saw on Netflix. I'm like, like I said earlier in the opening of the show, that guy looks a lot like Franco, but Franco's not going to be in this thing. Sure. And I look it up. Sure enough. It's our boy, James Franco. So, and it's got Taryn Manning from, uh, uh, what is it? Orange is the New Black. She plays Pennsylvania or whatever the heck they call her. And then, of course, uh, you have another Eastwood, Francesca Eastwood, who I watched recently in the pretty good MFA, which I think is on Amazon right now, Amazon Prime. You can watch that. She plays a young college girl who is assaulted. And then basically uh, when the college says, there's really nothing we can do. She starts taking out all these guys that one of the guys assaulted her and then other women at the school that say, you know, he assaulted and she's basically it's a vigilante movie for her, which is pretty good. Anyway, so you got a pretty strong cast here. And I want to state, too, I was really looking forward to this. I heard it was pretty scary. It had. And then once the film started, it had some, I think, some of the best opening credits of a movie I've seen in a little while. It was really Mm -hmm. well done. And then we get. The so when they open up the vault, well, not, they're not even opening up the vault, right? It's just when they're here. Okay, here's the problem. I do not understand this film's internal logic. Okay, some of the stuff didn't make any sense to me. Much like Pacific Rim Uprising, I think there's another film with some really interesting ideas that squanders them. I okay. feel that the film needed to push. <clears throat> some boundaries with what it was presenting. So you have a horror film and a heist movie. And I think the director and writer, Dan Bush, he, he, I don't know if the problem was maintaining the balance of the two were then that neither of them really particularly worked. Uh, in fact, I think I enjoyed the drama of the heist more than I did the haunted vault theme. Sure. sure. I thought that was a more compelling storyline that we don't really do anything with. It's more just window dressing. It's wallpaper for the movie. 
And I, I don't know. I just I felt like it had some effective scares at some point, but not many. Certainly not enough to be considered, I think, even a horror film. Um, and I feel as though each side, the heist and the horror film, were almost afterthoughts. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the ultimate goal of this thing was. What did you think of The Vault? Um, yeah, I tend to agree with you. I was really on board with this for probably the first... Um... I don't know, two thirds of this film. Um, mm. Even when they started going down into the vault and the basement and they started to kind of get the first glimpses of the, um, you know, the ghosts and, and the stuff going on down in the, in the basement. Um, I was still on board with that for a little bit, but as you say, it, it quickly kind of falls apart because they don't really know how, which, which one they should go with. Should they just commit completely to the horror tropes and genre or should they stick with the heist film and they try and kind of have their feet in both you know areas and it's it just doesn't work um and, and to be fair you know um if you've ever seen a if you've ever seen any kind of a movie like this i mean the the everything is telegraphed so mm -hmm. so so far in advance and i don't even understand that ending it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me um exactly why that happened but whatever i guess you got to have that kind of final thing going on um it's a shame too because it was pretty good like like you said i think it was it had some really good ideas it started off really strong i was really into it mm -hmm. um you know when the when the ghost first started to show up it, i was kind of like okay that's pretty creepy let's see how this goes and then it just it just quickly fell apart and it was just it's really a shame yeah and the and the, the, zomb the ghost zombies because they you know i think it's because what they've been shot in the head i guess is why they look the way they do yeah, but they had some very Fulci-esque makeup effects done with them, which I kind of appreciated. A couple of them it did at least, but the reveal at the end too, which you kind of saw coming. I first thought that maybe the main guy was the robber initially, mm -hmm. right? And then I was trying to back through my steps to see if maybe um, did he actually interact with anybody, or is it right. more the thing where only the <laughs> robbers see him? But there is a scene mm -hmm. later on where he actually does. So that kind of ruined that for me. Um, mm. Yeah, I, it's, I don't know. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't quite get the film's internal logic because the way the the ghosts work at the very end, uh, so they're not confined to the vault? Uh, yeah, I'll, I mean, do we just want to go straight on and just start talking about this? I mean, does that, I mean... Spoiler, I guess guys. so, because yeah. you know what? I think we're not going to recommend people really check this out. I think, yeah. So. Yeah, so I mean, spoiler, if you do want to go check it out, we're about to kind of bust it loose. I think I'll go ahead and say I'd probably give this a C. Um, but, yeah. I, you know, if you get bored, watch it, fine. But it's you don't need to go rush and see it. But the only thing I could figure, which didn't make any sense to me, is where the money came from, right? See, I figured that the ghost that shows up at the end was because they had the money and he was somehow you know tied to the physicality of the money okay. but i didn't know where, but i didn't know where the hell it came from like where did the was it just still in the vault and it was just the 1982 money that was for whatever reason never picked up by anybody ever you know it was still just in there yeah did um, the, i don't know did the robber murder robber did he just never make it out of the bank yeah i don't know um why was that's a, that's a, that's unanswered as well. Uh, they say they never found him, so I guess it would it would lead to say that maybe he did get out of the out of the vault or he got out of the bank, but he didn't take the money or but he, he didn't couldn't take all have the money. right. I think he must have died there too. Maybe in, in the fire or something happened right. because that's why he's linked to the money and he can't. He's right. you know connected to it. 
which yeah. is why when they're, I'm assuming, hundreds of miles away <laughs> yeah. with the bank of money that he just shows up. Right. Um, so that's guess that's the only thing that makes any sense. I would think typically with your haunted insert noun things that the ghosts, whatever they are, are intrinsically kind of just locked to that place for any particular right. reason. Right. Unless, of course, you're a poltergeist, right? And you just glom onto the family. Right. But... I just yeah the way the, the way they film they set it up is that this vault is haunted, right? So I guess maybe it's the money that's haunted, yeah. per se. I I, yeah. I don't know because they, they guess- do establish in the beginning that there is something going on there and the people that work there are aware of it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think the hostages are tied to the bank because they were all killed there. But I think you're right. I think maybe somewhere like. Maybe he's trapped in an air duct or like in, in a crawl space somewhere and got stuck and died or something and they never found him. So that's why he's still there. Um, and that's what explains, I guess, like, you know, the killer for the most part, I'm trying to think back. He didn't get in on killing anybody. You know, the the victims of the original robbery killed the robbers. So I guess as kind of revenge, but I guess he didn't show up until somebody actually tried to take the money. So maybe that's how that works I, I don't really know but what's even stupider about this whole thing is that you know they're they're telegraphing this whole thing right they're kind of showing you flashbacks and all this kind of stuff netflix gives the whole twist away like literally in the in the cover picture it shows franco with the guy in the mask behind him so i mean really and they never show the, the they never show the guy in the mask right. except in the flashbacks so i don't know you know, it's 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 kind of sloppily done all around, unfortunately. I mean, a nugget of a good idea that could have been good, but they just uh, did not stick the landing on this one. No, I agree. So C's across the board. Uh, the yeah. Vault is currently available on Netflix. You can check it out. Have you seen it? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, all right, let's, uh, let's keep the train rolling. What do you say? And let's go ahead and move on to what are the odds. But take a little listen to this. Amy. But she's not. What's up? Is that wine in the box? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this guy ever going to shut up? Mm, please watch the movie. Oh. Stop. No, that's not right. Don't do this to me. Why is he yelling? Listen, you always do this to me. You you show up to these places, you put me in a situation. I'm a big guy. Everybody wants to fight the yeah, big guy. Yeah, you are. Hey, uh, Mark Wahlberg, shut your bitch up. Mark, Mark Wahlberg? Me? Who else looks like Mark Wahlberg? Your girl? Mark Wahlberg's like 150 pounds. I'm 250 lean. I look like Mark Wahlberg ate Mark Wahlberg. All right, so that's a clip from Trainwreck starring John Cena and, of course, Amy Schumer. Uh... That's going to be my first word of the odds for you, Matt. What are the odds that John Cena becomes the next rock? So he's transitioning out of wrestling, right? He's been getting right. more films. He was actually, I thought, quite good in Trainwreck. Um, who else was really funny in that? Who I didn't? Oh, LeBron was actually really good in that too. But and then also he has a small role as a drug dealer in uh, Sisters, the Amy Poehler Tina Fey film. So what I'm curious, do you think he has the, what are the odds? Does he have the raw animal charisma that The Rock does? What are the odds he becomes the next Rock? Uh, I'm going to say 20%. I'm not, I'm not very impressed with John Cena. He definitely doesn't have The Rock's charisma. And he just kind of, 
I don't know. He just kind of, he's off-putting to me. I'm not sure why. He just is a little bit. I haven't seen Trainwreck, so I don't know if he's any good in it. Um, but like this new film, Cockblockers, that's coming out. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not looking forward to John Cena at all. His mugging doesn't seem to really do anything for me in the trailers. Um, I heard he was pretty good in Ferdinand. I didn't see Ferdinand, although my daughter saw it and she liked it. But I don't know. I just don't think he has the charisma to pull it off, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I got a mad. I got, I'm at about 35%. I'm a little more hopeful. Uh, bullish on that i think i do like him i think part of it too is he's i think the number one make a wish guy of all time oh okay um he does that stuff all the time i think he never says no to anybody right. who wants to meet him as part of that program uh so he's okay. supposedly just a really good guy so i'm rooting for him a little bit there i think he's fine i think he could be funny you're right i don't know if he's got the rocks ten thousand watts smile um but still uh, I'm rooting for him, but I'm yeah, I'm sitting around 35. I don't think he'll he'll hit rock status, but he could carve out I think a pretty fun, interesting little career for himself in the Holly Weirds. Yeah, I uh, and, and to kind of just to kind of do a little side segue here. Uh, speaking of the rocks, uh, 10 million watt smile. Uh, we watched uh, the Jumanji uh, Welcome to the Jungle. Actually, mm-hmm. pretty good. It's and uh, it's pretty funny. You should check it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm intending to, so I'll let you know. We can talk about that later. Great. What do you got for me, boss? All right. Um, oh, I'm the boss now. All right. So Entertainment Weekly uh, I'm posted. I'm now. Look at me. <laughs> um, Entertainment Weekly uh, posted a spread with uh, two of the 80s favorite slackers. They had Keanu Reeves and, and uh, what? God, I'm blanking on his name. I should Alex know Winter. This. Alex Winter. I knew his name was Alex. I could not remember his last name. Alex Winter. Um in a phone booth together again, mugging together is Bill and Ted. And there's been a lot of talk about a Bill and Ted three, even going so far as that there's being talks around with financiers to get this thing moving and off the ground. So my question to you, Chris is what are the odds we actually get a Bill and Ted three? Oh, I would say 70%. You think so? Yeah. I, why not? Keanu will do, he'll, he'll do whatever. He, if, if he thinks it's interesting and fun, he's going to do it. Uh, and Lord knows, no disrespect, Alex Winter, I don't think is going to be turning down a lot of a lot of roles, especially his most iconic one. Right. So, um, yeah, no, I think it's a very good chance that this happens. Uh, even if it hit a crowd, a, a, you know, a GoFundMe thing, some crowdfunding source, I think it w- it could potentially get done. So there's a very strong chance we would see a Bill and Ted three. Unfortunately, Carlin's gone, so I don't know who you pop in that place as Rufus, right. or it'll probably be Rufus's kid. And then right. who would it be like a Tosh or a um, a uh, Carlos Mencia? I don't know, uh, but yeah, I think it's a good chance. What about you? Yeah, um, I don't think there's any doubt that that uh, Winter or Keanu would do it. I think I think Keanu, you know, I mean, he's just getting this reputation as one of the coolest dudes in Hollywood. So um, I would totally think that he would do it, and he would yeah. have a lot of fun doing it. I think it's just more of a question of is there an audience for it kind of thing? And like, how much do they throw at this thing? But I'm going to give it a 75%. I think they do a pretty lean little budget. I think, uh, you know, winter is probably not commanding a lot of, uh, <laughs> commanding a big salary. And Keanu's known for taking kind of small salaries and donating even a lot of extra beyond what he needs. So um, I can see that they wouldn't be the stumbling block, but I, I, I give it a 75% that this happens. Yeah, no, I think it's a very good chance. So. It'd be interesting. I would definitely check that out. I haven't watched those movies in a long time. Uh, Shout Factory released a special anniversary edition of both films. 
I don't know if they'd hold up. But if they do make a three, Matt, we'll have to revisit both of them and report back. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I haven't seen them in a really, really long time. I remember really liking Excellent Adventure when I was a kid, being very, very disappointed by Bogus Journey. Um, but I think it's time to revisit them as an adult and see uh, see if they held up. Hmm. All right, Matt. New Mutants has been pushed back again. Mm-hmm. Supposedly now, so what happened is they were making a horror film, right? And then the studio got cold feet and they had them change it up to be more of a PG-13 and throw in some teen angst and some comedy and stuff. Uh, make it a little more palatable for the Marvel generation type thing. And after reviewing that, they're like, you know what? No, let's go back and actually reshoot this thing and make it a straight horror film again. So what are the odds? I got two for you on this. What are the odds the Mutants gets at least a 60% Rotten Tomatoes score? Mm-hmm. And what are the odds it actually hits its 2019 release date now? Or does it just uh, get shelved? Um, um, I'm going to say, so it's, I'm going to take your second question first. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 65% chance it actually hits its 2019 release date. I think the outcome of that those reshoots and i think they'll be done in time it'll really be based off of the audience reaction um you know the, the test screenings to see if this thing actually sees the light of day at all um but i think that they'll be ready to release it in 2019 but you know i don't know if it'll actually happen that'll be more to, based on how the audience does i have no faith in this film whatsoever um i don't understand i like i like the idea i guess of doing a superhero horror film but i don't think the new mutants is the right one to do it because they were always like a bunch of goofy kind of slapsticky characters um so it's just really weird and just doesn't seem to be the right way to go about this so i don't know i'm gonna give it like a 40 percent chance that it actually cracks 60 percent on rotten tomatoes interesting all right so the odds that it hits its 2019 release date i think that's pretty strong as well uh they made may yeah so I'll I'll go a little higher than that. I'll go seventy percent that it does. Now that it's actually gonna get a sixty percent Rotten Tomatoes score, I'm a little more bearish on that. Um, <coughs> you said forty percent. Yeah. All right. So I'll go forty-two for no reason 42. at all. So you're a little no more you're a little more bullish on it. Yeah. It's got a strong cast. I mean, we both love Anya Taylor Joy in the in the Fantastic Thoroughbreds and The Witch. If you haven't seen yeah. them, yep. Maisie Williams, right from Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. right? Um, we got Charlie Heaton, Henry Zaga, Blue Hunt. I like so that's and it's Magic, Wolfsbane, Cannonball, Sunspot, Mirage. So those okay. are your those are your key ones. Supposedly, right. John Hamm was going to be brought in to play Mister Sinister during a post credit sequence, but I think that's now been cut. Because of these extensive reshoots. Sure. So, I don't know. But still, yeah, we'll see what happens. Interesting. All right, what do you got? All right, so we've talked about this quite a few times. But I think it just keeps happening. So I want to bring it up again. So Netflix is in talk to buy Europa Corps, which is Luc Besson's film company, owns the rights to like Lucy, Valerian, Fifth Element, things like that. Um, Apple was in discussions of buying A24, and obviously the Disney Fox deal is under federal review right now for antitrust reasons, but you know, barring anything major, this will probably go through. So my question to you in 10 years, Chris, what are the odds we get into a demolition man scenario where basically there's only four groups being Disney, Apple, Netflix, and Amazon that are actually producing movies? 
pretty good. I think there may be some upstarts that may kind of break through once in a while, but then they'll probably just be gobbled up. Mm. Um, so, uh, I'd say, I, unfortunately, I was going to say like 80% chance that within, what was the window, 10 years? 10 years, yeah. Yeah, that we'll basically just be getting content from three to four producers. Uh, and then there are little offshoot companies as well, but still, ultimately, right. uh, there'll be just those four. And the concern, the concern you have, right, is just the Disneyfication of everything. Sure. Where stuff gets toned down for a wider audience type of stuff. And then where you get robbed of some really unique artistic output. Um, I heard mm. the A24, A24 said there's no truth to the Apple rumor. They've actually spoken mm. out against it and said it's not true and it's we wouldn't sell. So that's interesting. But still, yeah, I think unfortunately it's exceptionally likely that that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to be not creative and go right with you. I'm going to say 80% as well. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. And my only hope would be that, you know, as they kind of buy these things, um, they kind of retain the branding and maybe the, the kind of film that those, those uh, studios pull out. So maybe even though it's a Disney film, I don't know, I'll just throw something out there. You know, let's say they buy Blumhouse, even though Disney owns Blumhouse, that's still going to be the ones that produce like, you know, you're kind of, you know, nasty horror films and those kinds of things. It's going to be like a division of what they do. Um, that's the best I can think we can really hope for. Um, and, you know, I think that's, yeah, unfortunately, I think that's the best that we can hope for. And then, of course, we'll get movies like Ready Player One where they can literally put everything together. Um, maybe, so maybe that could be fun. They could have, you know, uh, <clears throat> DC and Marvel, you know, uh, fight fighting in a film together, which really is what we're all just hoping for at some point. That's true. You do want to see that. You want to see that X-Men versus uh, Avengers thing, right? You want to see yeah. the Batman fight Captain America type of thing. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. All right. I got two here that are Oscar related and these will this will be the end for me. Okay. Um first off, what are the odds that Infinity War gets a non-technical Oscar nomination? Uh 5%. I don't think yeah. there's any way it's happening. Um I mean, I think you can see, you know, I think the best example of this is obviously um the Lord of the Rings, where the the Return of the King got the nomination and won, but I think the general understanding was for the overall achievement of what they produced. Um, the problem with Marvel is there's never really going to be an ending, and everybody knows that. So even if they said Infinity War or the next one, um, it's like if they just stop making them, then maybe because it would be something that had never been done before, and like look what it did to change the world, but. Since they're going to continue making these things ad nauseum, I don't think it's ever going to happen. No matter how good it actually, I mean, what they produce. Yeah. So, I don't know if I've ever done this on this show, but it's about to happen. Okay. I'm going zero percent. Zero? You think so? Not even a slim chance in hell that it'll ever happen. Well, I'm, I'm specific to Infinity War here, not Marvel okay. movies in general. Okay. So um, maybe down the road, Marvel can get a little artistic. But the problem, why the things are so successful is the reason why it'll never happen. Okay. Is because they are basically cookie cutter movies that have mm -hmm. a very set path, a very set style. You know, they introduce different things like Doctor Strange introduced some really interesting special effects, that type of thing. But still, there's a very particular formula for all of these films. 
So they're, they're always going to be somewhat generic. Entertaining is all hell. Right. But that's the reason why none of those themes are there. Why the movie scores for those films are particularly memorable. It's, it's, I, I always go back to that because it's the exact reason. Everything is just very kind of just entertainingly, but still generic. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went with the big Zetto. Did you have any more <laughs> or did you want my last No, I, I, let's just give you your last one. But I do want to point out to kind of combat that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really wish that DC or Warner Brothers and Marvel would start doing things like their Elseworld series, like what if movies, stuff that is completely removed from the continuity where you can do whatever you want with these established characters. And everybody would know that this is just kind of a parallel what if type of story. I used to love those and I still really enjoy those um, those stories. And I think they could really do something cool with that. And then until they get around to that, I, I'm really going to be holding out hope they can do that at some point in the future. I don't even know if they have to do like a what if or an Elseworlds. I think if they could just get into DC's Vertigo line. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, I would love um, Vertigo. Or even like, I know I've always pushed this one, but James Robinson and Tony Harris's Starman. You could mm. really do something interesting with that story, with those characters. But yeah, but um, you could do a. Uh, a swamp thing you could do shade the changing man you could do i mean uh, there's so much you could do i think with the vertigo imprint that could mm-hmm. actually get you some critical uh, acclaim sure so interesting all right finally there's a big hubaloo if you haven't heard i think we may have talked a little bit about it last week but uh khan has refused to accept any netflix films into mm-hmm. their festival uh, so it kind of made me think about that in regards to the Oscars. What are the odds that a streaming film ever gets an Oscar nomination? Ever? Um, will, the, will, the, will the industry push back against it so strong they won't acknowledge it? Uh, I think I think ever's a long time. So I'm going to say mm-hmm. that there's a 100% chance that at some point that there will be enough of a cultural shift to where just like you said the big studios the big films the big the, the stuff that's coming into theaters is the stuff that's safe and it's cookie cutter and the only place you can go to to kind of see these kind of maybe more risky films or have something to say would be those kind of streaming things so i right. think i think it's going to happen sooner or later i mean even look at amazon um you know you have manchester by the sea uh moonlight was a was that an amazon film as well um, no, it was A24. It was A24. But I mean, but you've already seen that with Amazon where they've got, they pushed, put out, now granted they went to the theaters first, mm-hmm. but 10 years from now, what's to say they say, you know what, we're just going to put this straight out on video or we're going to put it straight on our streaming service and let's just do it that way. I can see that happening. And, and you know, with the filmmakers, the old guard retiring or dying off, the, the young kids will be taken over and they'll be okay with it. All right. So what if I, uh, I think that's fair. I think that's a very good point. And that uh, the way that we've talked about this to the shifting landscape, how will you pay 20, 30 bucks, $25 to stay and watch a first run film in your home instead of mm-hmm. going out to the theater to check it out? I, w- yeah. I think that's the inevitable future is that you will get that option. Right. Um, so I agree 100% at some point it will eventually happen. So let's give you a window, Matt. What do you think that's going to be? Five years? 10 years? When do you think that'll ha- eventually happen? Um... 
I would say probably about 15 years out, I think. Um, I think that's when you'll have probably most of the academy turned over at that point. Five years is too soon. I think 10 years, you'll still have enough of the old guard that are involved that it'll still be in a resistance. Um, but I think after 15 years, I think you'll – people who are used to it, who have grown up with it, they'll be more comfortable with it. I think that that's when you'll see the really sea change. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that sounds about right to me as well. Interesting. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's going to be what are the odds for this week. Did you have any percentages you'd like to assign to any of those? Do you have any what are the odds scenarios you'd like to present to us? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We would love to hear all about it. Matt, coming up next week, Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. Spielberg's adaptation of the just, what is it? Just name-dropping brand um embracing book uh this time so we're going to see spielberg's version of that and also there's a ton of stuff out there we're going we want to check out so it's going to be a surprise what it's going to be next week will it be isle of dogs with that will it be unsane could it be the death of stalin could it be all of them we're going to have like a four-hour show who knows <laughs> but there'll be a lot to come up next week it's going to be a lot of fun uh check us out of course on apple Podcasts, stitcher tune in we're on uh, YouTube. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And, of course, as always, at thefirstrun.com. Do us a favor. Go to Apple Podcasts and do a quick rating. Throw a couple stars up there. Well, let's say at least three to four. Uh, <laughs> and then leave them a quick note. Tell them how much you uh, accept the show. You don't have to like it. You just say it. it's it's a middling good time. It. Yeah, You like, appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Like Pacific Rim Uprising. It's good. You appreciate it's the effort. You appreciate the effort. That's right. So that's going to be the big show this week. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you all soon. You look like you naturally have no body hair whatsoever. Do you oil yourself up a lot? I need to get through a narrow shaft. Danger! Walk away. That's a black diamond slope.